sincere respects to the divine grace, Srila Avaicharan Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, who was very dear to Lord Krishna on this earth, delivered the fallen souls. Text 13 and 14 of chapter 12, Bhagavad Gita as it is. Adrashta Sarvabhutana Adrashta Sarvabhutana Maitra Karuna Evacha Nirmamo Nirahankara Samadhuka Sukakshami Reading the verse in Sanskrit language and then we give the translation into English. Santushta Satatam Yogi, Yatatma Dridanishtaya, Mayarpitamano Bhutir, Yomad Bhaktasamekriya, Translation by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. That's Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. Figure is there who <coughs> translated and gave an explanation to the Bhagavad Gita as it is. One who is not envious but is a kind friend to all living entities, who does not think himself a proprietor and is free from false ego, who is equal in both happiness and distress, who is tolerant always satisfied, self-controlled, and engaged in devotional service with determination, his mind and intelligence fixed on me. Such a devotee of mine is very dear to me. Report. Coming again to the point of pure devotional service, the Lord is describing the transcendental qualifications of a pure devotee in these two verses. A pure devotee is never disturbed in any circumstances, nor is he envious of anyone, nor does a devotee become his enemy's enemy. He thinks, quote, this person is acting as my enemy due to my own past misdeeds. So it is better to suffer than to protest." Unquote. In the Srimad Bhagavatam 10.14.8 it is stated, Tate Samik Samaru Whenever the body is in distress or has fallen into difficulty, he thinks that it is the Lord's mercy upon him. He thinks, he thinks, quote, Thanks to my past misdeeds, I should suffer far, far greater than I am suffering now. So it is by the mercy of the Supreme Lord that I am not getting all the punishment I am due. I am just getting a little by the mercy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Unquote. 
Therefore, a devotee is always calm, quiet, and patient, despite many distressful conditions. A devotee is also always kind to everyone, even to his enemy. Nirmama means that a devotee does not attach much importance to the pains and trouble pertaining to the body, because he knows perfectly well that he is not the material body. He does not identify with the body. Therefore he is freed from the conception of false ego and is equal poise of happiness and distress. The devotee is tolerant and he is satisfied with whatever comes by the grace of the Supreme Lord. He does not endeavor much to achieve something with great difficulty. Therefore he is always joyful. The devotee is a completely perfect mystic because he is fixed in the instructions received from the spiritual master. And because his senses are controlled, he is determined. He is not swayed by false arguments because no one can leave him from the fixed determination of devotional service. He is fully conscious that Krishna is the eternal Lord so no one can disturb him. All these qualifications enable him to fix his mind and intelligence entirely on the Supreme Lord. Such a standard of devotional service is undoubtedly very rare. The devotee becomes situated in that stage by following the regular principles of devotional service. Furthermore, the devotee says that, well, excuse me, the Lord says that such a devotee is very dear to him. For the Lord is always pleased with all his activities and full Krishna consciousness. Translation again with repetition. One who is not envious, but is a kind friend to all living entities does not think himself a proprietor, and is free from false ego, who is equal in both happiness and distress, who is tolerant, always satisfied, self-control, and engaged in devotional service with determination, Mind and intelligence fixed on me. Such a devotee of mine is very dear to me. So, this is uh, chapter 12, text 13 and 14, by what he thinks it is in the subject matter of devotional service. Here Lord Krishna is explaining about the qualities of a pure devotee. Pure devotee is decorated with so many wonderful qualities that are developed naturally. Even if one thinks that, well, I don't have all these qualities, it's going to be very difficult. If we, if by chanting, 
So I told him, okay, you can take. But there was actually the Vamana Devism was this form of Krishna. Then he expanded his body and showed that the whole universe is within his body. And in two steps he covered the entire universe. He said, where do I put the third step? So the Bali could realize that he was uh, giving. He was in the mood of giving. He thought he was the proprietor of things. He was very proud. He offered a Vamana day. Put it like that, man. I'll give you a whole planet. I conquered over all the stars. You can have your own planet. No, no, I just take three steps. Mm -hmm. In the end, he saw that nothing belonged to Baal Everything was actually the Lord's anyway. But the Lord realized whatever we have, Krishna is giving us in our care. But he's the actual proprietor. It's not that the Lord is giving donations to Krishna, but rather we're just returning back some of the energy that Krishna gave us, acknowledging his proprietorship. So when we know that the Lord is the proprietor, then there's actually less stress and anxiety for ourselves. When we put ourselves in the Lord's hand, that we're his servants, then we're in a much more secure position. Sometimes, uh, now recently in the past few years, some fortunes of different companies have gone up and down, but that affects the shareholders more than the employees. The employee got sent first, they lose, and if worse comes to worse, they may lose a job and they find another one. Well, some people, they may have uh, one day a billion dollars, and the next day have nothing. I don't know what happens to all the shareholders of this, of this um, no company in Italy. One billion, what's it, ten billion dollars missing from the account book. So, if we are the proprietor, that means we have to take all the anxiety. So if we're not the proprietor of our lives, but Krishna is the proprietor. The Bhaktivino Thakur, he prayed to Krishna. Manaso deho geho jokichu mora arpilo tua pande pande kisho. I dear Krishna, whatever I have, I'm offering to you. Actually, everything is already yours, but if there's something that I still think is mine, like my mind, my house, my family, I'm offering everything to you. Simply engage me in your service. I want to use whatever I have in your service. Using things in Krishna's service doesn't mean anything unnatural. It just means we do things in the right way. And some people may destroy their bodies, thinking that's my body, I can do with it what I want. If I want to destroy it, what's, what's, what's my life? <clears throat> but the devotee can't think like that, because the devotee understands Krishna is the proprietor. Krishna has given us a body used for a particular purpose. If we misuse the body, we're actually committing an offense against Krishna. So that produces a bad karma for us. But because the devotee knows that the whole universe belongs to Krishna, 
body belongs to Krishna, so then the devotee naturally is, you could say, would be ecologically favorable, wouldn't want to harm anything in ecology, wouldn't want to misuse or hurt anyone, because everyone is equally Krishna's property, equally dear to Krishna. In fact, if all that right now we have all these multinational companies that think they're the proprietor and they can exploit all the things from the earth, and we're having a global warming with all kinds of dangerous consequences, but every country thinks they're the proprietor of their national wealth and they can do what they want. But everybody thought actually God is the proprietor, Krishna's the proprietor, then Really, they don't have a right to exploit to the extent that it's going to ruin the earth. So they're trying to blame that the cows are burping up too much gas. There was no problem even with the cows before. The huge factories are putting so much pollutants in the air. That's only when the problem is there. A devotee is free from false ego. Since the devotee knows that he's not the body, he's a spirit soul, therefore he doesn't have the false ego. He's equal in happiness and distress. Any of you ever experienced happiness in your life? I hope so. Anyone ever experienced distress? Sure did, although hope not. How do we equal happiness and distress? How can it be like everybody wants to be happy, right? How many here want to be happy? But how do we equal? How do it sounds like almost a contradiction? The point is how to be balanced, because in life we cannot avoid distress, we cannot avoid happiness. We're going to have both of these. In this material life, there's happiness, it's a nice day, things are going all right, suddenly we get news, some dear, the near person is sick, or some, we're having trouble at the office, or this is something, always some kind of distress happens, we get a stomach ache. But the Vedas say there's three kinds of distress we get from our own bodies. We get distress from other people. So when we're going on a walk and the flies here, they keep trying to give you distress. Just like that. Or sometimes maybe a mad dog or a mad cow and all this. Because <coughs> they feed the cows and the wrong food. So this is from other living areas, maybe too hot or too cold, or, or there may be a cyclone, or a hurricane, or some kind of storm. That's some natural causes, earthquakes, tidal waves, floods. I think there was floods in Australia sometimes. So sometimes you get happiness, and sometimes you get distress. Mainly if there's no distress, that's what's considered to be happiness. So we have to be balanced. Because in this material life, you're going to have both of these. If somebody gets too intoxicated by happiness, then they tend to not save for the rainy day, they tend not to be very balanced and 
how to utilize that in this step. They, they start to compromise on their principles. When they get distressed and they get depression, hopelessness. So we have a spiritual balance, we have a spiritual source of our happiness, and we have a material equilibrium. That way we can be equal in happiness and distress. So what we want everyone to do is to experience spiritual happiness. Then you can be equal in material happiness and distress. Because even in material distress you can still be spiritually happy. Spiritual happiness isn't dependent on the weather, or the mosquitoes, or the flies, or the neighbors, or your own body. Spiritual happiness is dependent on your spiritual progress. So previously spiritual progress might have been very complicated, but now it's become very easy. Basically we need to meditate. And meditation has become very easy because we can meditate by chanting the Hare Krishna Mantra. Hare Krishna, 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 so the system of Bhakti Yoga is to get ourselves absorbed in the whole spiritual environment, the whole spiritual routine. And when we do that, we learn the, the different techniques. Chanting is the basic thing, but there are other things that like eat spiritual yoga food. How many of you like the prasadam that they serve on here, those feasts? That's the spiritual food, right? You like, how many like the feast here? <laughs> so that, that's part of yoga, right? You can, you can go back to the spiritual world. You can become spiritually advanced just by eating. That's not too difficult. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> you can eat the spiritual food all day. Yeah, of course, here we have downtown Gopals, Crossways, Food for Lions. Come here to the temple. Well, you learn how to cook. Best thing is learn how to cook in your own home and how to offer the food to Krishna. How to prepare yogic food. And by taking that kind of yoga food, that alone will help you to advance. By coming here and visiting the temple, seeing the deities who are incarnations of the Lord, for allowing us to pray to them and worship them. By reading the Bhagavad Gita, by doing some, this is regular, very simple practices. Over a period of time, we start to become very spiritually advanced. And we get, <clears throat> and these things start to give us natural spiritual happiness. So we become equal in happiness and distress, because we have a higher happiness. I once had a high fever in India. They thought it was malaria, but it was actually an infection in my bladder. They gave me all the wrong medicine, nothing happened. I was so high, it was like a hundred and I was, well, Fahrenheit was like a hundred and six or forty-two plus. They thought they were almost going to leave my body. But then how they kept playing these beautiful tapes of Prabhupada giving a lecture in Vrindavan, a lecture of devotion. And I was feeling so happy, on the one hand, from hearing these beautiful lectures, while physically my body was like a total wreck. And uh, 
then I can really realize that, you know, the graphic difference that I, the spirit soul, living in this body, the body is like in total pain. But then, spiritually, by chanting and hearing Prabhupada's lecture, I was feeling spiritually happy. It was a real contradiction. Because I was getting the pain impulse at the same time, but I was also feeling the spiritual happiness from the spiritual impulse. So you can, you can actually, after some time, realize the difference between the physical impulses you get, physical input that you're getting to your consciousness, and on a higher spiritual. But you won't realize that unless you get the higher spiritual. And they don't get that unless you chant and develop a spiritual way of life. Eating spiritual diet and thinking spiritual philosophical points of seeing things. That's a very important point here. One is uh, to be tolerant. I remember once uh, there was a there was a Brahmin who was very intolerant of Lord Chaitanya. He said, "You're making everybody devotees. You're going against our caste system. I curse you to never be happy materially." <laughs> and Lord Chaitanya he said, "Haribo, it's a blessing. Haribo, Haribo." I don't want material happiness, I only want spiritual happiness. So Lord Chaitanya was so tolerant against these uh, people, or but other people were intolerant. So that way he was always satisfied. We work, we get a certain amount. The devotees can limit their ambition. They work, they have a period of this much energy I'm going to get for material progress. And then uh, accordingly, uh, but they get there, they become, they remain satisfied with that. They keep time for their family, keep time for their Krishna consciousness, they keep time for some preaching, for different things. They don't, they don't just uh, totally put everything in that, <clears throat> in one thing. And because of a balanced uh, lifestyle and a spiritual uh, orientation, they're satisfied. There was this very, very poor uh, banana salesman. He used to grow his bananas in Bengal and sell them in the marketplace. His name was Kola Vishen. And maybe here bananas aren't a bad thing. At that time they didn't really have export import. It was 500 years ago. So it was like selling Bananas in Bengal, and everybody had a banana plant growing all over the place, just the wild. It was like selling coal to Blue Castle or something. It was like you know, an high market. It's not a very much of a margin there. So he was just barely able to make ends meet. But that's what his profession was. He had his own banana fields he grew. And some of his neighbors would get on his case. They told him, look at make sure that. Why don't you just, just uh, see, Kolavich, he had a, he dedicated 50% of his profit every day to worship the Ganges River as a beauty, as a service for his uh, guru and Krishna. They told him, why don't you just uh, stop this worship of the Ganges for six months, one year. Gather some capital. You can buy more land, you can get a bigger banana patch, you can do something. And then, you can get more money for Gandhi Bhujo. Nikola 
just say that a very simple verse and it's a look at the sea. If I stop, I start in the middle of trying to gather cattle. What's the guarantee that uh, I'm going to start again? I may just get in the habit of not giving, and then I'll be in, and then I'll have in big trouble spiritually. I'm working hard. If Krishna wanted me to get ahead, then I would get ahead. He just took a very simple outlook. And uh, so look at all of us. Look at your adobe, it's kind of wholesome. Well, I got clothes on. Maybe I've got a few holes. Your house roof is going to hold. I said, well, it's a tropical climate here, you know, you have a little air in the sun of the crowns. <laughs> You're crazy, you know, why don't you get a hand on your mind? That may make sense, but now we know why you're howling all night. It's Hare Krishna all night long and chanting. You're hungry, you're getting hunger pain because you can't sleep. <laughs> they're really nasty people. But then it turned out that see that actually Kolaj was Sridhar. He was, uh, was the Lord's test on him to remain poor. But he never wavered in his devotion. So Krishna always used to come over and see him. One time, Lord Chaitanya came to see him and said, Kolavitsa, I know you're really a very wealthy man, but you're hiding your wealth. You're hiding your wealth. Why don't you uh, tell me where your wealth is? I don't know, I don't have any wealth. Well, look at it anyway. You know, I'm a poor Brahmin. Well, I want to know that if you make a, uh, what can you give me? You know, I'm not a Brahmin, I don't work, I just, I get donations.
maybe your tickets back to the spiritual world. It's such an important thing. And he went from there in a procession with his brother and sister to Hastinapur, the capital of the empire at that time, and then to a holy place called Purukshetra. The Purukshetra is where they, even today, all these places are still existing except Dwarka. There's a city called Dwarka, but the original Dwarka where Krishna lived, they said the island sank in the ocean after he left. But recently some archaeologists have made an amazing discovery that they discovered a city at the bottom of the ocean. And they said that city is so large that the docks of the city are larger than the nature of modern shipping docks in Rotterdam and Hamburg. So it's a very large uh, city. Maybe that's the original Gorka. We don't know for sure, but uh, definitely there's a city sunk under the sea there. So all these places are historical places. Krishna made this journey. And so at that time when he made the journey, his childhood friends came from a place called Vrindavan. His stepmother and father, his, uh, his, uh, all his childhood friends, they came and met him there at this uh, holy place called uh, Kurukshetra. And it was a big reunion. So this is a festival of reunion, festival of unification, of bringing everyone together in love and friendship. But there's a lot of different messages that this festival does, and we think that it's a message which is very much appropriate here in Byron Bay because people are being brought together and uh, friendship and loving feelings. That's really the message of the uh, Rath Yatra, that we're all one family. One of the, the name of this form of Krishna is Jagannath. The Jagan means the universe, and Nath means Lord. So Lord of the universe, or Nath means protector of the universe, or father of the universe, according to how you like to translate it. So it has different meanings. So this word really means that we're all one family, under Jagannath. We're all one family under the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Some people ask why we use the word Godhead. Anyway, the word God itself is just a kind of uh, title, like President, Prime Minister, where it doesn't really describe so much. But Godhead, the idea of that is that the Supreme is never alone. He's always with his energies, with his friends, with his associates that uh, there's a whole spiritual world where there's all kinds of beautiful things going on there. So when Krishna came to this planet, he demonstrated to us like a little window into what goes on in the spiritual world. The way we are here in this material world, this is a distant place from that spiritual world, so he wants to invite us to come back to the spiritual world. So these festivals are also opportunities for us to re-establish a relationship with Krishna in a personal way. And what could be a nicer way than playing with the Lord on a little uh, outing on the beach? Or on 31st of December, we take the Lord around for bringing in the new year, bringing an auspicious and lucky new year for everybody. But the idea is by very simple things that everybody likes to do, dancing, singing, festivals, 
in a few minutes there'll be a feast. All these things, if they're done in a spiritual atmosphere, in a spiritual way, they actually help to bring us to a higher spiritual consciousness. Originally, we all are spiritual in our consciousness, but we've fallen into the material world and we identify that we are these material bodies. We're not actually the body. We're the living force that's in the body. And the living force, Krishna is also comprised of the same living force. But He's the total living force. And we are part of it. So each of us is actually the living force in the body. When the body gets old or dies or somehow becomes damaged and we can't sustain the life in anymore, then we leave the body. But we never die. We, the living force in the body, never die. We live forever. We're all eternal. And that's why there's reincarnation, because when this body is finished, we go take a new body. We enter into the womb of a mother, a time when a man and woman are having relations, and that's called conception. And then we grow in a new body. After nine, ten months, we're born for a human body. And like this, then we go on a new life. So we go life after life after life. And when we actually get association with someone who is really wise in spiritual knowledge, a guru, a spiritual master, a Vaishnava, devotee of the Lord, then we can start to understand well, what is life all about? What are we meant to do? Because actually as a human being, we're meant to realize ourselves as a living force. People are losing their mobile phones and their mindsets and so many things. But the worst thing is to lose the understanding of who I am, who we actually are. That's the thing that's missing in the modern world, is that people, they don't actually understand. Most people don't know who they are. So rather they're thinking that I'm this care uh, and this body or... I'm growing old, I don't feel old, so many things happen. So the Bhagavad Gita teaches us that our body changes, but we never change. Our mind changes, but we the living force, we don't change. So we're trying to help people to come closer to understand their self, to understand their relationship with the Supreme Source of everything, to develop a loving and a spiritual friendship with all living entities. The why the chanting is so helpful for them, but the chanting is what awakens our living force, our spiritual force, awakens our spiritual consciousness. We need to
Thank you for watching our videos. Be sure to subscribe to our channel. We publish new videos every day 
And don't forget to like and share our channel.